Literally everyone is going to be mad about this video. Epic Games, the company behind the massively popular Fortnite franchise, just declared Battle Royale on Apple and Google this week, flagrantly defying both platforms' lockdown in-app payment policies. In retaliation, Apple and Google kicked Fortnite off the app and play stores, which is pretty much exactly what Epic was waiting for because they sued instantly, instantly, not for money, not to get back onto the stores, not even to get their own payment options. No, but to get their own store. And yeah, it's just so much drama, so much spin, so much money. And I'm going to explain all of it to you, tell you exactly what's really going on. And I'm going to do it right now. Sponsored by CuriosityStream, now bundled with my streaming service, Nebula. For all the latest in-depth analysis on everything Apple, hit that subscribe button and bell, and then buckle up. Almost exactly two years ago this week, back in August of 2018, Epic Games announced they weren't going to be putting Fortnite onto the Google Play Store. No. Just hard no. Fortnite, especially its Battle Royale incarnation, is Epic's mega-hit survival shooter game. Some initially dismissed or derided it even as a PUBG knockoff, but it's gone on to become one of the most successful online games ever for both players and streamers alike. Ninja Tifu much? Now, Epic had put Fortnite onto Apple's iPhone App Store because they had no choice, and they'd already made like 15 million no-choice bucks off the in-app purchases, but they had to give Apple 30% of that, and there was no way just no way their CEO, Tim Sweeney, was going to give Google 30% as well. Not if he could help it. Not with sideloading. Blessed sideloading on Android as an option. Epic was confident they didn't need Google, that they could have their launch and eat every V-buck of in-game profit too. So, hold on. Why did they have a problem with Apple and Google taking 30% and not Microsoft, Sony, and Nintendo taking the exact same 30%? Well, Sweeney's answer is that the iPhone and Android are general-purpose computers while the Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch are not. That the Xbox, PlayStation, and, okay, sure, the Switch, hardware is often sold at cost or at a loss, and the big gaming platforms will invest just far more in marketing and partnership with the big game studios. So they're more dependent and deserving of that 30% cut. And that iPhones and Android phones are typically sold at higher margins and just don't help market or partner with the bigger studios anywhere nearly as much. Others, of course, would point out that Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch have web browsers. Some have video conferencing, video and music streaming services, messaging. In other words, apps, and could run pretty much any app or any app store Microsoft, Sony, or Nintendo allowed. The difference between general purpose computers and consoles are largely anachronistic and just arbitrary now. Also, consoles stay on the market for years, forever in technology time, distributing those initial costs more effectively than many phone companies that swap out products like every year or every few. And that most developers aren't big game studios who even get much less benefit from those kinds of marketing and partner pushes, where big game studios do get plastered just all over the front pages of the App Store and Play Store. And that Sony owns a 1.4% stake in Epic, which isn't anywhere nearly as big as Tencent's 40% stake, but isn't nothing. And Nintendo now uses Epic's Unreal Engine, so they have a development partnership beyond most game companies. And that after some initial scuffles, Epic now loves Xbox, whatever that means. For that 30% also, Apple, for example, invests heavily in everything from the Swift language to iOS frameworks to the Xcode development environment beyond the hardware. They also handle hosting and delivery for apps, if not in-app purchases. 
taxes internationally from the U.S. to Japan and back, which is apparently as complex as it sounds. Transaction processing, review, developer relations, and editorial features, which, in some fairness, some developers find super thin, if not opaque or downright hostile. They handle support, even while intermediating the customer relationship, and provide access to just massive customer bases with credit cards and other payment methods on file, who trust and are used to transacting through those stores, trust built on over a decade of transactions, and Google does similar with Android. So the value proposition, the benefits and the drawbacks are complex and messy to begin with, and got even more so real quick. Because according to Epic, Google played hardball and pressured Android vendors like OnePlus, maybe LG, not to pre-install the Fortnite launcher on their phones, not if they wanted to stay in Google's good graces. But Samsung did include Fortnite on their phones, starting with the extremely high-profile Galaxy Note 9 launch, both with Epic's installer built-in and Fortnite on the Samsung store. So maybe Samsung was just too big to pressure or didn't give a flying floss about any of Google's hardball. Epic also claimed Google uses scary, repetitive pop-ups, conflate sideloading with malware, and launch PlayProtect to block it, all to make sideloading basically non-functionable as a realistic, viable alternative. And sideloading on Android is kinda sorta like Gatekeeper on the Mac, where you can choose to install apps outside the official app store. You just have to click through the warnings about the potential risks. And Android nerds just flat out laughed at the idea of it being difficult or scary in any way. But for mainstream customers, it's legitimately harder to find and more cumbersome and stressful to install apps that way than it is through the Play Store. Either way though, Epic gave up on sideloading and in April of 2020 released Fortnite on the Google Play Store, giving Google 30% of their incredibly lucrative in-app purchases revenue. Now, there's still just a lot to unpack here. Like, why does this all sound so strangely like the plot of an old Sopranos rerun? Well, let's address it with what happened this week. Last Thursday, Epic announced the Fortnite Mega Drop, a permanent 20% discount on all in-game currency. On Xbox, on PlayStation, on Switch, on PC, even on iPhone and Android. The latter two by breaking App Store and Play Store policy and offering alternative payment options, direct credit cards, and PayPal. If you used any of those methods, you saved 20% on V-Bucks. If you felt more comfortable sticking with Apple and Google Payments though, well, Epic said you get no savings because Apple and Google collect what they called an exorbitant, exorbitant 30% fee on all payments. Why beef with Apple and Google's 30% and not Xboxes, Playstations, or Switches? Well, again, Epic thinks those are fair given they claim different cost structures. And again, Sony owns part of Epic, Nintendo partners with them, and who even knows what's going on with them and Microsoft these days? Why only 20% savings on V-Bucks for players if Epic is saving 30% on revenue share? They didn't say. Maybe to cover costs for their own transaction processing. Maybe just to increase their own profits. Maybe both. Now, Fortnite is free to play or freemium or whatever you want to call a game that you can download and kind of enjoy without spending a dime, but can only really kind of enjoy by spending all your dimes to get just all the stuff faster. It's like surviving on funny tasting water and stale bread versus ordering just all the Big Macs with bun and special sauce as upsells. See, like I've been saying for years now, 
people won't spend $5 one time upfront for a premium game, but will spend $5 a day, every day, on a freemium game's loot boxes, or to have a better skin than our friends, or just to get back our cars on the track faster, or whatever. Ego and instant gratifications, and the big game companies run psyops at a scale that makes even the big casino companies just drool. They even use the same term for their biggest spenders. Whales. And Epic doesn't think it should have to share just any of that whale cheddar with Apple or Google because other types of apps don't have to share any of their revenues. Specifically, for physical goods and services, Apple and Google just don't take a cut of in-app transactions at all. Basically because they can't. Physical goods require real money to produce and deliver. A book from Amazon, sneakers from Nike, a drone from Best Buy, a burger from McDonald's, the driver's time and gas on a Lyft rideshare. So from the beginning, apps selling real-world goods and services just used their own payment systems, typically their own account and billing services. The apps were basically more mobile-friendly, convenient, functional proxies for their websites. And there was just no way Apple or Google were going to get any of that. Not ever. Digital goods, though, well, for those, the apps and games had to share revenue. All of them on iOS. And while I'm not 100% sure about exactly the whens and wheres on Android, games on Android as well. Games have to pay their 30% tithe. Now, that's caused some problems over the years, specifically with apps that resell their own digital content. If you're Amazon taking 30% of a Kindle book sale, or Spotify paying a fraction of a cent per song play to artists, turning around and paying Apple that same 30% on that same Kindle sale, or that same subscription is just really hard, like non-starter hard. There's room for one middle person, one broker, not two, not multiple. In other words, you can't aggregate eBooks or songs in an app and then have a platform aggregate apps in a store with 30% being charged all the way down. You just eventually run out of percent. So over time, Apple allowed exemptions for what's now commonly referred to as reader apps. Most recently, even letting apps like Amazon Prime charge your Amazon account directly. But it's still hugely opaque and controversial. And I'd need another whole video to dive into it. Why and what can be done about it? So let me know if you want to see that video in the comments. Games though. Games for both Google and Apple get no exemptions. Zero. None. Now, sure. In-app purchases aren't for physical goods, so there isn't the same real-world overhead. And they're not aggregating anything in a game either, like books or music that they're paying creators for. So there's no double or multiple agency. There's just code once, charge everyone. They're delivered from the company's own servers though. So there are infrastructure costs that they're paying instead of the platform. But it's mostly pure profit for everyone involved. I mean, so much profit. Ridiculous, unfathomable, uncountable, genius for some, borderline immoral for others profit. And Apple and Google, they want their taste. They want their piece of the action. And Epic just wants to keep all of their action. Okay, so I've already said I think Apple's wrong about streaming game services in my video last week because they're just inevitable. And I have a lot of personal opinions about the 30% sideloading or gatekeeper on iOS, alternate payment options, the disparity of API access between first and third party apps, and the ongoing transition of apps from scarcity to abundance, from unit pricing to subscription, and yeah, streaming. But that's that other video entirely. For this video, what happened next was both predictable and just completely bananas. Once Fortnite dropped their drop, or sucker punched their service agreements, or whatever you want to call it, Apple had four basic options. 
whether or not they chose to negotiate with Epic behind the scenes, and depending on just how much leverage they wanted for those negotiations. They could have just done nothing, letting Fortnite basically occupy the App Store. They could have blocked future updates to the Fortnite app, but left the current version available. They could have revoked Fortnite's certificate and rendered every existing version of the app already installed on every phone just completely inoperable, unplayable. Yeah, basically the nuclear option. Or they could pull the Fortnite app off the App Store, preventing new installations, but leaving the millions of current installations just working as is, still playable. And the last one is what Apple did. They kicked Fortnite off the store, but left it on all those billion phones in all of our billion pockets, at least the ones that had downloaded it beforehand. They could even keep using Epic's 20% off payment options. Just no one else could download it, even if they downloaded it before on the same or different device. Now, should a platform, should any platform have that kind of power? Does it depend on how they use it? Like to punish a social network for spying on us? To quickly remove an app or dozen that use some malware-laden code from off the web? To remove VPN apps because they're ordered to by China? Or TikTok because they're ordered to by America? That's a huge part of what all of this is about. But again, beyond the scope of this specific video. But please let me know what you think in the comments below. What Apple said was that Epic Games had violated the App Store guidelines, guidelines that are applied equally to every developer. Now, as we just went over, that's not entirely true, or at least it requires a very Obi-Wan Kenobi definition of true from a certain point of view. The guidelines are applied equally to all game developers. Physical retailers and even some content providers are subject to different guidelines for different payment types, something Epic is really super salty about. Apple also said these guidelines are designed to keep the store safe for their users. But again, retailers and some other content providers have shown in an approved way, the app store can be just as safe even with alternate payment options. And Apple has shown pretty much the same thing with all apps using notarization and trusted developer certificates on the Mac under Gatekeeper. Apple accused Epic of enabling a feature that wasn't reviewed or approved and violating the app store guidelines Epic had agreed to, which also true. Now you can think these guidelines are reassuring, perfectly acceptable, problematic, unfair, or downright complete BS, but Epic agreed to them. Also, that Epic had benefited from the App Store for a decade, which, I mean, they'd been up on Apple's special event stages, plenty, parts of demos, featured, and that makes it kind of sound like they used Apple and the App Store to get them through college and now want to dump them for a younger, hotter deal. But it could also mean that they hated their position, their dependency, the whole time, and were just biding their time until they were big and powerful enough to do something about it. Apple said those benefits include the tools, testing, and distribution that Apple provides to all developers, which again is true and I covered a minute ago, and that these guidelines create a level playing field for all developers, which is kind of murky. I mean, again, rightly or wrongly, different categories of apps are treated differently, though games are all treated the same, but they do allow a brand new company one that doesn't have Epic's billions and can't afford their own store to sit side by side against Fortnite on the iPhone or Android and compete for our attention and time as essentially equals. So of course, all of this became immediately a huge Apple story with some slinging their well-worn but still sparkle-coated rent-seeking monopolist signs and others dunking on wanting access to a high-value, high-trust marketplace while biting the hand that fed it. And it looked like it would stay that way until just a few hours later when Google kicked Fortnite off the Play Store as well. 
same as Apple, leaving current installations in place, but preventing any new ones. Google said the Android ecosystem was open with multiple stores, but that those who chose to use the Play Store had to follow the consistent policies that are fair to every developer and keep customers safe. Basically, a shorter but open-ear tutting version of Apple's statement. And yeah, it turned out Apple and Google had the App Store lightsabers this whole time. But Epic, Epic had the lawsuits. Epic sued so fast that it's impossible to believe this isn't exactly what they were waiting for, certainly prepared for, maybe even hoping for. With Apple, no question. With Google, I have so many questions. They had a video ready too, a parody of the most famous ad video ever, Steve Jobs' 1984, introducing the Macintosh, which, okay for boomers, if completely without any context for Zoomers. Also, a threat that iPhone users in specific, and maybe mobile users in general, might just miss out on the next season of Fortnite, when, of course, Palpatine might just have another broadcast about all of this. The suits were filed with all the killing words, or buzzwords, depending on your point of view, accusing Apple and Google of having monopoly control over the App Store and Play Store, respectively, and their in-app payment system, and being anti-competitive when it comes to iOS and Android app distribution. And yes, Google too, because remember, Epic accused them of bullying other Android phone makers and of scaring people away from and effectively blocking them from sideloading. And the timing was just so perfect. So perfect, Epic was probably just waiting exactly for this timing. Because both Apple and Google are currently being scrutinized by both the US and EU for anti-competitive practices. And Apple and Google CEOs, Tim Cook and Sundar Pichai, both just testified before the US Congress where they faced serious questions about how they treat partners like developers and competitors like, well, exactly what Epic wants to become. So the trillion dollar question, are Apple and Google monopolies? And I'd argue that's really just a distraction because you can engage in anti-competitive behavior without being a monopoly. And that behavior can be legal or illegal depending on how you engage in that behavior. There are also legal monopolies, including many infrastructure companies, like many cable companies. The US tends to favor lower prices for consumers. So much so, they spanked Apple and hard over ebook prices, handing Amazon almost 90% of the market as a result. The EU, by contrast, tends to favor more competition, even if it, like with the Microsoft browser ballot, didn't really help Opera or Sleipnir or ultimately Firefox and just handed the internet over to Google's Chrome. So instead of a choice between a half dozen rendering engines, we're now down to basically two and a fork, and one of those is on life support. It's also incredibly dependent on who gets to define the market and how they get to define it. Apple has a minority share of mobile operating systems, meaning there are far more Android devices in this world than iPhones. But in the US, they have a majority share amongst US teenagers who just love iMessage, AirDrop, and FaceTime. The App Store has also traditionally been the most lucrative market for developers, much more so than Play Store, even though the Play Store typically has more downloads. But I'll just leave it up to you to argue over whether or how much Apple's policies contributed to that lucrativity in the comments. Google does allow other stores and sideloading on Android, but Google Play is by far the most popular, most lucrative store on Android. And as I'm repeating just ad nauseum infinitum now, Epic found sideloading to be a non-starter because the vast majority of mainstream customers can't even find it or wanna be bothered with it and maybe even wouldn't trust it if they did. And again, you can argue over how much Google has to do with that. 
in the comments. As to Google bullying Android vendors, well, that's something they've been accused of for years now. For example, with Yelp in search, with Skyhook in mapping, and with Epic Now and others for mobile. Kravis Swain and Moore, the lawyers representing Epic in their suit, are the same ones that represented American Express versus Ohio and won it all the way to the Supreme Court. The ones that represented Time Warner in the AT&T merger. The ones that most recently represented Qualcomm versus the FTC. So far, winning on appeal. They've usually been on the other side of these types of antitrust cases, but maybe that just means they know where all the attack skeletons are buried. Of course, it's safe to bet Apple and Google have just top-notch in-house and external counsels as well. And while Apple and Google haven't yet commented on the suits, Epic CEO Tim Sweeney just couldn't help but tweet all over it. Now, I realize this might make it feel like I'm picking on Epic just way more than Apple and Google here. But seriously, Apple and Google have put out one statement each. Epic and Sweeney just keep marketing, filing, and tweeting. So there's really just so much more stuff to pick on. So much more. Sweeney said Epic is fighting for the freedom of people who bought smartphones to install apps from sources of their choosing, the freedom for creators of apps to distribute them as they choose, and their freedom of both groups to do business directly. Though he previously said sideloading on Android was unacceptable due to the nature and number of the steps it took, which Android experts dispute and which keeps people safe from malware, which was and is a huge problem on PCs that lack warnings, certificates, and other protections, which is the model Epic seems to want. But others would argue that Epic really just wants to collect just all the money without any of the friction, responsibility, or care or consideration for any of the users beyond their money. Sweeney also said we all have rights and we need to fight to defend our rights against whoever would deny them, even if that means fighting a beloved company like Apple. But of course, not Microsoft, Sony, or Nintendo, because he thinks they're not general purpose computer makers, but Apple and Google are, and that their Xbox, PlayStation, and Switch business models deserve a higher revenue share than the iPhone or Android. And of course, are part owners, development partners, or just beloved by Epic. That the fight isn't over Epic wanting a special deal, but about the basic freedoms of all consumers and developers. And this could well be completely sincere and true, or it could be another billion dollar company hijacking a common cause to knock down and replace an incumbent. Because it's clear from their legal filings that what Epic really, really wants here is their own store, the newly renamed Epic Game Store on the iPhone and on Android, so that they're no longer paying Apple or Google 30%, but having other developers pay them much as other developers do on the PC version of the Epic Game Store today. In other words, they don't want to remove the gatekeepers. They want to become another gatekeeper. And yes, absolutely, Epic currently charges way less for their gatekeeping than Apple or Google, but they also provide far less in return, far less reach and exposure, and far more demands around exclusivity deals to undercut the Steam Store. And their model could also change at any time. Either way, some feel it would just mean more competition that benefits everyone. Others, more fragmentation that is both a blessing and a curse. Sweeney finished by saying there's nothing wrong with fighting about money. You work hard to earn this stuff. When you spend it, the way it's divided determines whether your money funds the creation of games or is taken by middlemen who use their power to separate gamers from game creators. Of course, in fairness, those middlemen are also using that money to fund development of the operating systems and of the App Store and Play Store infrastructures. And Epic sentiment is great, but they've been controversial in their own right. 
They were sued back in 2018 for using dance moves without credit or compensation to the creators. In other words, using their power to separate dances from dance creators, the people who worked hard to earn that stuff, which even if copyright ends up not protecting, like at all, maybe doing what's right should, especially by a company so vocal and demanding about it for themselves. And that absolutely doesn't mean that Apple or Google are in the right here, or even in the clear. Just that Epic may not be the Batman we want or need either. Because push comes to shove, there's no way of knowing whether non-billionaire or even non-millionaire developers will benefit a lot, a little, or even at all by whatever Epic ends up getting out of all this. Like I said, I have very strong feelings about how I think app stores need to evolve and change for the next decade of devices and customers. Sure, to stave off what I can only imagine will be the bluntest, most technologically illiterate remedies imaginable from the US and the EU, but also to do the one thing that I think is largely being lost and forgotten here, to better serve us, the customers. Now, I have a few extra thoughts on all of this and where it might end up, but they're more feels than facts which means YouTube might just punish me for including them here. Never mind the comments section. So I'll add them to the extended discussion on Nebula, which is why my creator friends and I teamed up to build our own streaming platform to begin with. One where creators don't need to worry about demonetization or the tyranny of a click-through rate, watch time, or the algorithm. It's called Nebula, and we're thrilled to be partnering with CuriosityStream on it. Nebula is a place where creators can do what we do best, create. It's a place where we can both house our content, ad-free, and also experiment with original content and new series that probably wouldn't work at all on YouTube. In fact, if you like this episode, the version I'm putting up on Nebula removes the sponsor read entirely and replaces it with an extended cut that includes my thoughts on where this whole Fortnite mess might just go next. And at least once a week or so, I end up recording sections that just go off the rails, that don't fit with YouTube. But ad-free and extended on Nebula, that's just like the perfect fit. Also, full 45-minute long video versions of the interviews I've done with iJustine, Brian Tong, Walt Mossberg, and more. So what does all this have to do with CuriosityStream? Well, as the go-to source for the best documentaries on the internet, they love educational content and educational creators. And we worked out a deal where if you sign up for CuriosityStream with the link in the description, not only will you get CuriosityStream, but you'll also get a Nebula subscription as well, for free. And for a limited time, CuriosityStream is offering 26% off all their annual plans. So click the link in the description, or you can go to curiositystream.com slash It's a great way to support this channel and educational content directly for just $14.79 per year. Just click on the link in the description, or go to curiositystream.com slash Clicking on the link really helps out this channel. Thanks, CuriosityStream. Thanks to all of you for your support. Check out my Apple Analysis playlist for more, and see you next video.